What up, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of 2, 5, and 10, episode 40. Um, I am just thrilled that I can throw this out there. Today, along with Benny, we have our great friend Mike. Boys, the LCRHL is officially back together. What, what is going on, gentlemen? <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. I forgot that we were the three that started that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is it is good to get the three of us together. I uh, I haven't been on doing any hockey shit in a long time, so this is cool. And once again, I'm outnumbered by Bruins fans. Mm-hmm. Hey, tough life. Somebody got to live it. Um, <laughs> I- I'm excited. A lot of shit happened this week. Draft, trades, possible free agency. Benny, where are we starting? I think we should start right off with the rule changes that were announced by the NHL this past week, including the video review uh, changes, uh, and then we can go right into Bruins and Rangers free agency uh, offseason kind of high-level overview, and you guys can go first with the Bruins. But I think we should start with the NHL rule changes and take it from there. All right, Mike, fire away. All right, so uh, the very first one, Right, I, I want to address, and this is one that goes against kind of the hockey culture in general. Uh, the rule change regarding the helmet: uh, if your helmet comes off now, right, you have to go unless you have an immediate chance to play the puck. You have to basically go and retrieve your helmet or hop off the ice. Uh, this is the Tory Krug rule as a result of the 2019 playoffs, and uh, I personally am kind of pissed about it. I think. You know, like you're in the heat of the game. Uh, you know, I don't think it's an excuse to say only if you can play the puck uh, should you be able to play. You know, with your flow going on, I uh, I think live free or die. You know, like what the hell? The guy <laughs> wants to go down and he wants to go down and crush somebody. Let him do it. I mean, otherwise we're just getting to the point where it's a little excessive. And I, I understand safety first, but these guys have brains. They have a conscience. They're they're actively doing this. They're not just you know running out there with mindless sets. First and foremost, I just want to applaud the New Hampshire reference, uh, the, the <laughs> God's country up north. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, hockey's been played this way forever. It, it's hard to just get a guy to not react like, oh, I'm going to go play the puck. No, I have to get my helmet. The only thing I don't like about the rule is this. If someone has that decision in their head that they have to make up whether they have to go for a puck or pick up their helmet and whether a a penalty gets called or b a puck ends up in the back of the net like people are going to be bullshit and obviously you can't review it because now that turns into a judgment call so that's the only thing with me that will drive me ape shit throughout the year because i can already see it happening a couple of times coaches are going to lose their fucking mind it is what it is but it's hard to have people to react a different way when you've played the game this way forever yeah, yeah, I, two, I totally agree. Yeah, the two things for me is, one, I think it's going to become a game within a game when it comes to if a player decides to go after his helmet because it's kind of similar to you'd rather pull a guy down on a breakaway and give your goalie a better shot on a chance for a save on a penalty shot than just giving up the breakaway. So if I my helmet gets knocked off and it's going to be a two-on-o the other way, I'd rather just continue playing and give up the five-on-four instead of a two-on-o the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is it says a player who intentionally removes an opponent's helmet during play shall be assessed a minor penalty for roughing. How many times, whether it's us during our old playing quote-unquote careers or we see during games in NHL, there's a scrum in a corner where the shoulder-on-shoulder contact and the helmet comes off. So is that going to be now a minor penalty for roughing because in a scrum, somebody's helmet happens to come off? So I think it's going to slow the game down. Well, yeah, yeah the scrums are interesting because, like, when Tory Krug made that hit on David Perron, well, I mean, on Sanford, it was because David Perron took his helmet off. But I'm with you, though, on the other part of it. Like, yeah, after the scrum in the corner every time, if you knock someone's helmet off, do you get two minutes for that? Or is that just a scrum and that's not in play so it doesn't count? Yeah, they, they can't they can't include the scrum. I mean, that'll just be insane, right? And the other big takeaway from the new rule changes that were announced was the expansion of the coaches challenge, which came into play in the playoffs with uh, the hand pass that wasn't called in the Vegas San Jose series. Uh, that was the big one. 
Uh, so the rule is listed as, in addition to coaches' challenges for offside and interference on a goalkeeper, a third category will allow to, for the coaches' challenge of goal calls on the ice that follow plays in the offensive zone that should have resulted in a play stoppage but did not. Uh, the penalties for an un- unsuccessful challenge um, include a minor penalty for delaying the game on a close first challenge that was unsuccessful and a double minor penalty for delaying the game for each additional challenge that is unsuccessful. Uh, do you think this is helpful? Do you think this is actually going to come into a play a lot, or do you think it's going to start slowing the game down with ticky-tack challenges here and there for reviewing every offside, every puck that goes high off the uh, side glass and everything else? No, I think that with the repercussions of having a bad challenge, I don't think too many people are going to go into that second or third or fourth challenge. Just w- I mean, you get a double minor. It's not two minutes in the box, it's four. So I think video coaches and video coordinators now have a whole lot on their plate because if you're calling them in that headset, you better be right. If not, yeah. you're costing the team. So now it's a whole other ball game of bring your A game and make sure you're on for every play because, hey, your video guy takes a night off. It could be costing you in the long run, you know, when it comes down to the playoff push and said, shit, we needed those two points that night. Instead, we got two double minors and, you know, now we're not in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I, I think this rule is actually a good rule. I think it will be helpful. I, I agree with you, Kevin. I don't think they're gonna the people are gonna abuse it in, in the sense that you know the risk of the, the two minute minor and then the the double is it's significant enough. And, and like you said, you, you've got people who are looking at these plays. But I do think it'll help prevent you know outcomes that we saw in this past playoffs. Uh, ben, as you mentioned, the hand pass, uh, the out of play into the spectator netting. Um, that we experienced in the Bruins uh, playoff run, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's good uh, that they are kind of putting this one in there. But like anything, right, I, I'm hoping they'll review it after the season and see how it went and make any tweaks. But happy to see, honestly, a quick turnaround. Like, great timing here. Yeah, and the other uh, addition to video review is for major match penalties and double minors for high sticking. Uh, referees will be required to conduct an on-ice video review for all major uh, non-fighting and match penalties they assess on the ice for the purpose of confirming the penalty or reducing the penalty to a two-minute minor penalty. Uh, the referees shall not have the option to rescind the call penalty altogether. And for a double minor for high sticking, they will not have the ability to review the play to confirm or not that their original call on the ice, uh, whether the stick causing the apparent injury was actually the stick of the player being penalized. So I think that is another great step in the right direction for the use of video review in hockey. Oh, agreed. I mean, with all the drop balls that they had this playoff season, the fact that they're actually going to the point of making sure if they're going to call it that it's right, I'm okay with it. I know it's going to slow the game down a little bit, but at the same time, if your guy gets called for five and then they look at it and say, well, it should just be just two, it it changes the game. So as long as they're right and they're 100% right, I'm okay with it. I just don't want, for example, a couple of times this year when it came down to goal reviews and, you know, magically there's one other angle at the last second and say, oh, yeah, now it's a goal. Like, I just want it to be, we see the same angles they are. We can judge it. I mean, as fans, I think hockey fans are pretty knowledgeable as to what's a hit to the head and what's not and what should be five and what should be two. So hopefully just on that end, it's clear cut and everyone can be on the same page. Yeah, I think it gives them the opportunity to, to uh, make their correction right and make the right call, which should calm down the fan base. I mean, we we all get upset in our armchairs here, right? Because we're watching <laughs> a replay and we're like, what the hell? How did you possibly miss this? And so I think it gives them the opportunity to get the right call. I think ultimately, if it's done right, this will lead to you know a, a fan base being satisfied at the cost of the trade-off of the game being slightly slower. So yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be good stuff. But uh, And the last... Excuse me. The last few changes that were announced this past week, uh, the defensive team will not be permitted a line change when the goalie freezes the puck on any shot from outside the center ice red line, which I don't think is much of an issue anyway. Most goalies keep the puck moving. Uh, Following an icing as well as at the beginning of any power play, the offensive team will have the choice of which end zone dot the face will take place. And for pucks out of bounds, when the attacking team is responsible for the puck going out of play in the attacking zone, 
the face-off will be conducted at one of the two face-off dots in the attacking zone. So yeah, nothing the, big there, but yeah, I love I love the rule where you now get to pick which which side left or right that you want the uh, you know face-off to take place after an icing. I think uh, I think that's going to become advantageous to teams who want to load up with a lefty or a righty off mm-hmm. the draw, right? Um, and I'm all about kind of seeing the game evolve in, into being more of a, a strategic and competitive uh, game, utilizing these breaks in time, right? I mean, we're not going to stop calling icings, right? They're there for a reason. Uh, so the ability to kind of layer in where you now have a chance to figure out what's best for your club in that situation, I, I actually kind of like that one. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the line changes. Uh, I agree with you. Goalies keep the puck moving. I don't, I don't think it's a big deal for the defensive team, um, but we'll see. Yeah, apparently they also discussed eliminating offsides altogether, the GMs, but they didn't obviously didn't go ahead and go through with that because I think that would turn into like arena hockey. It's like arena football, but I'm glad they kept the tag up offsides and we'll bring down the bring back the rover, so just have something yeah. flying <laughs> the whole time. Can you imagine just Sagan cherry picking up the yellow blue line? Oh, I know. Hey, I did hear that they had one more rule that it passed in terms of like the automatic goal being awarded if the goalie deliberately knocks the uh, net. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Henrik Lundqvist rule. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he was pissed off in that Penguins game in the playoffs, and then he just his helmet came off, and he just flipped a, uh, the net on its end on a two-on-zero breakaway with Crosby and Malkin. Yeah, apparently too, and like I guess in the in the KHL and some of the other uh, you know leagues out there that you know if somebody comes in on a breakaway, literally the goalie's just been turning around. And I saw a clip earlier, <laughs> the team, and they just knock the net off the moorings. And it's just they rather have like the ability to slow the game down, down, almost like freezing the player, right? Yeah. Also giving them a chance to like mentally prepare for you know a breakaway as 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 a shootout um, has been awarded, right? I should post that on our Facebook. Uh, the yeah. The highlight of Lundqvist uh, shoving an head off its morning is when he was pissed off at the linesman. Yeah, I think there was actually one guy in Europe who did it twice this year. Just two, two on one, and then he was like, nope, not having it. Just flipped it over both times. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, now. again, I don't think that's going to come into play too much as long as Henke gets the right calls. Um, we're going to transition into uh, offseason kind of overviews for the Bruins and Rangers. Uh, I think Kevin and I will kind of give a league-wide preview in the next week or two, uh, but we wanted to focus on uh, the Rangers and Bruins this week. Before we get into that, I just wanted to highlight that the NHL salary cap is at $81.5 million for this upcoming season, which is a million and a half lower than expected. So teams like Tampa, uh, Toronto, um, Nashville, those are teams that were even more impacted by a lower salary cap. So with that in mind, I will cede the floor to the two boys in Boston and kind of give an overview of what you expect for this summer. Okay, why don't you lead us off? All right. This is what I'm thinking. The, the Bruins are in a tough spot, and it is what it is. We are strapped to this David Backus contract because no one's going to take it. With that, I did see that the I don't know if the Bruins were shopping him or if people were inquiring of Jeremy Lozon, which I think is going to be a great player coming up. Mm-hmm. People would probably take on that back as salary if we would give Lozon too. That may be what it is, so we'll have to cross that bridge when we get there. But as for a free agency part of it, we cannot get a top six winger with having to re-sign Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo. It's just not happening. So... Everyone who wants a top six winger, unless we can trade some serious salary cap, it's not happening. So they're probably going to have to find something within. Who is mm-hmm. it? Nobody. Like, it, it's not there. With yeah. it, I mean, could we adapt? Are there some younger kids who are ready to step up? Yes, but I don't think anyone is ready to fill a top six winger role. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so either. And and I agree with you on back as I mean, we just can't move him. If we're going to do anything, it'd be after this year, right? Because he's got two years left. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we just ride him out in his leadership, right? For at least this season. Um, yeah, in, ter- in terms of the top six winger, I, I 
I don't know. I'm almost in the camp of uh, almost in the camp of, you know, coming to reality. We're not going to do anything. And I don't know if we have anybody in the farm system that can obviously come up and, and kind of do that right now. Right. Um, so other than that, I mean, what we drafted Beecher, he's he's a big guy. He's six, three hundred and eighty five pounds or whatever. No, he's a big uh, boy. He's a, he can skate. He's going to be good, but he's going to need time. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, he's keeping in mind. It's one of those things, too, where he actually put up really good numbers on that national development team and without a lot of power play time because they were so stacked between Hughes and Colefield and all those other guys. So I think, yeah, in the future, he's definitely going to be a very good asset. But looking at it right now, the only thing the Bruins can hope for is kind of what we talked about last episode where you bring Corey Perry in on a prove-it deal and hope he can fill a role. Outside of that, I mean... We have $12 million in cap space, and I can almost guarantee now eight's going to Charlie and four's going to Carlo, and Carlo might just be a bridge for a couple of years. So with that, I mean, we still have Danton Heinen, who's restricted too. I, I just don't know as to who, what, where, when, why, and how we're going to get some sort of space, but we do need a little bit of leverage. We do have John Moore, but I don't think anyone's going to take that contract like the one downfall of Don Sweeney has been his free agent signings. He's done really good for us in trades, but outside of the trades, everyone he signed, Bolesky, Bacchus, like these guys have just not been good. So I think he needs to find a way. He's very big on the farm system and prospects, but he needs to find a way to get somebody there and, I mean, maybe he has some magic up his sleeve, that GM of the year award, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they got to give Sweeney some credit, right? Like, yeah, Johansson was a good pickup. He ended up in, in, when we first got him, wasn't so hot, but I thought he had a good playoff run. Um, so who knows where that'll take us. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know the numbers as well as you guys, but I, I'm almost in the sit tight, hold the year. Uh, you know, ride out back and then figure out what you're doing there on the offense. Because you're right, we can't let go of Carlo. We can't let go of of uh, Krug coming up. Right? I mean, there's just too many needs and not enough money to go around. So, my question as the outsider here is: Let's say you guys do stay pat. Perry goes somewhere else. Uh, Johansson leaves, which is expected in free agency. Because the only way to keep Johansson is if you guys move Krug, and I don't think that's uh, keeping. Johansson at basically to spite your defense. Um, let's say your up your foe group stays the same entering training camp. Do you envision Coyle moving over to the right side on the second line and then having Corrali move up to the third C and Frederick on a fourth, or do you keep Coyle on a third line and hope a guy like Coleman steps up? I would love to put Charlie Coyle there, but that was one of his issues in Minnesota where they put him on the wing and he wasn't effective. So he's most effective down the middle. And on that aspect, it sucks too because I think he would be a great fit as a winger. But if it's not working for him, whether it's the way he reads the game or whatever it is, then I would rather him be the third-line center than be completely ineffective. Yeah, you got to play to your strengths. I totally agree. Um, keep him comfortable. And, and Carson, you know, being a right winger, like I, I, I thought, you know, for – a young guy, he's got he's got upside. It's just going to be a matter of getting more time, right? Um, and so I would rather go with with moving somebody like Coolman in his natural position up than than messing with Coyle. And unfortunately, that's about all of the Bruins offseason moves. Because <laughs> we're no cap space, and I mean, you guys just went to the Stanley Cup final. I don't think there needs to be much done on your end. Well, that's the thing, though, right? Is like. Can we talk about that for a second? You guys already obviously have, oh, yeah, but you know, we had a we had a. <laughs> I'm going to call it a good run. I'm not going to call it a great run because a great run is to me is bringing home the cup, right? We didn't do that. We had a good run, uh, but you don't get a prize for being in second. Um, that said, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to make enough changes to the offense to gain enough production here. Uh, to, to carry us over to the, to the next, you know, cup run, to be honest with you. Like, I get that, you know, we rode the, the first line for the regular season, and then it was kind of next man up mentality. But without making any moves, which obviously we just talked about for a few minutes that we're kind of in the gridlock almost, it's like 
I'm a little concerned uh, about just our our run next year in general from the offense. I agree with you completely just because other teams are going to get better. There, there's no question about that. And you want to talk about luck, absolutely. Like, we didn't have to play Washington, didn't have to play Tampa. I mean, right. is that going to happen next year? Probably not. Like, we're going to run into someone along the way. So, right. yeah, I don't know. It, I mean, and and let's face it. So, Tuka Rask, right? Like, to me, he played, he played outstanding. I, I fully expect that we will see Tuka Rask play to the same caliber that we saw him this past postseason. That said, I think we saw his ceiling. I think that's the best he's going to get. And at the end of the day, right, like you can't, as much as we rely on a goaltender to, to get us to the, uh, to, the, to the big dance, I mean, you need people who can put the puck in the net. So uh, I expect to be solid in goaltending, solid in defense. The guy's got another year in the belt on the back end. But just with lack of, lack of resources to make changes up front, I'm, I'm a little concerned, guys. I have one question for you, Mike. If- sure. Tuka Rask is able to come out and stay to his form as he just did in the springtime. Mm-hmm. Do you think that now makes Tory Krug be that much more tradable because you don't need to be as reliant on the back end and you could fill your need up front? No, no, no. Because uh, at the end of the day, I think Tory is one of those guys who possesses some unique skill on, on the back end there. Uh, in that he's got an offensive mindset, right? And so it's hard to find guys like that. The, the only thing I would change about Tori Krug is, honestly, I give that guy like six more inches of height and probably <laughs> 45 more pounds. And he would, his wife probably says the same thing, right? <laughs> it's, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, like, uh, no, I, I think, you know, you, you keep Krug where he is and, and keep Rask. But yeah, I honestly expect more from from folks like Pasternak, uh, you know, and and some of those guys on the offensive side. It was pretty pretty concerning there. So I mean, maybe it was just a bad slump, and uh, next year will be all right. But I was personally hoping to make some moves this offseason to uh, kind of get the offense going. But like we said, I don't know if it's going to happen. It's just interesting because with the emergence of Grizzly on a on a left side, you have Krug on the left side, Char on the left side, but you still have some former first-round picks that a left-handed shot defenseman that uh, if they're going to progress anymore, they're going to need to start getting NHL ice time. So unless you're going to play them on their offside, I don't know if they're trade bait or if you're just biding your time until uh, Char's contract ends at the end of next season and just slide one of those guys into his spot. Uh, But I think from a depth position, Krug is a great player. I wouldn't look to move him unless you're going to get a true difference maker up front. Uh, but you guys kind of do have the ability to slide Grizzlick into that second pair spot alongside Carlo. Agreed. I mean, Grizzly had a phenomenal year. Unfortunate when he had his injury at the end, but yeah, I think he's a difference maker. I don't think he's as good offensively as Krug, but he's better defensively. So mm-hmm. I guess you got to flip a coin as to whichever way you'd want it. Yeah. I remember, I remember the good old days, Mike, uh, before the trade deadline this past season, I was negotiating with Kevin about a Zuccarello trade, and I was like, Grizzlick for Zuccarello one-to-one, and that was before Grizzlick really took off. And Kevin was like, oh, I can see I can see that happening. And now I'm like, God damn it, I wish we pulled that trigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I don't blame you for wanting to make that trade. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm glad Grizz is, is in our system, and I'm glad he's, he's playing with us. It does suck his injury, but, I mean... Local boy, he's got some great talent. I do agree with you, Kev. He is, he's solid on defense and probably has the edge against Krug. But he also does have that mindset to move the puck. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think he needs he needs some more ice time as well. And he's going to get it, right? I mean, it's coming. Um, but we'll see. It's uh, it's definitely interesting. But Is, is it time? Is it time for the New York Rangers offseason talk? Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably is. All right, I'm going to keep this as short as possible. All right, I'm not going to go on for 10 minutes here, so Kevin, put the beer down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So everybody knows the deal with the Rangers. They just got Kaku second overall. Uh, They've been rebuilding for the last two seasons, which is the story of my entire hockey fandom. Uh, They made the trade for Truba. So for me, their offseason boils down to three or four things. One, deciding who they're going to buy out, whether it's Brendan Smith or Kevin Shankirk on a back end. 
I still think Shattenkirk, if you eat some of his uh, cap hit, has value to a team that is looking for a veteran second or third pair right-hand shot guy who can play in a power play. So hopefully you can move him and half of his cap hit and then you use the buyout on a guy like Smith who was relegated to left wing on your fourth line towards the end of last season. Uh, then the second facet for me is free agency up front. I uh, Obviously, they're going to be connected to a guy like Panarin, who's probably going to command seven years, 70 to $77 million total length of the deal. I don't know if he's going to go to New York, even with J.D. in a fold, or he's just going to go down to Florida with the Panthers, where he already has a house. But either way, the Rangers are probably going to be looking to add a top six forward, because outside of Kreider and Buchnevich and hopefully uh, Kaku on the top six, they don't really have another... Uh, top six winger in the lineup. So if it's not Panarin, Johansson's probably going to be a target for them. But the other aspect is uh, RFA offer sheet, which due to the offer sheet rules, the only way the Rangers can sign one of these guys is if they give up four first-round picks. Uh, so you're looking at a guy like Mitch Marner and Keith and Matthew Kachuk, and I know we'll get into the Marner situation in a little bit when we talk about the Maple Leafs so far. But that's the Rangers' big move. They're set on the back end. They have Truba, Shea, uh, D'Angelo, Stahl, Fox, and a couple prospects like Lindgren and uh, Hajek on the back end. The other thing for me is they need to step up of Leah Anderson and Philip Heedle. So they're banking on Heedle stepping into that 2C role, uh, which he was inconsistent last year, but I can see him being able to slide in and produce in the 2C role next year. For me, the big question mark is Leah Sanderson. They have a hole in the third line center role. They were hoping it would be him last year. He was not ready for it. He's still young, 20 years old. Uh, but if he doesn't step up and he has to start the year in A, that leaves a gap where either Ryan Strom has to slide over to 3C or Vlad Nemesnikov. So that order already puts the Rangers at a hole in terms of depth up front if Anderson doesn't step up. So for me, that's kind of the breakdown of the Rangers offseason. They're set on the back end. They're set in goal with Flunquist, uh, Georgiev, and Shususkin, the prospect. They just need one more top six winger, and hopefully Anderson uh, is able to fill that 3C role. The one complaint I have is there's constant talk of the Rangers looking to trade Chris Kreider. Uh, he has one year left in his deal. He's probably going to be looking for an extension of five or six years, $6 million a year, somewhere around there. I don't understand why they're looking to move him. He's a homegrown guy. He produces. He's a, what, he's a unique talent up front for the Rangers. Guy is 6'3", 220 pounds and quick. Uh, he's only a few months older than Panarin. So if the Rangers are willing to toss $80 million to Panarin, I don't understand why... Kreider is, quote-unquote, too old for this rebuild. Um, you want to keep a guy like that. I understand moving Jimmy VC. Uh, he's basically a third-line forward at this point, Diamond Dozen. But if the Rangers saw Panarin just to move Kreider, I don't see how that improves the top six because now you're still down the top six forward. Uh, so I'm hoping they're able to work something out there. But, yeah, that's the Rangers offseason to me. It's who's the, Who are they going to buy out? Is Anderson and Hedo going to be able to fill the second and third line center roles and who they're going to sign up front, whether it's a free agent or a restricted free agent to fill out that top six. With you guys getting Truba and hopefully the emergence of Fox, do you guys see Lundquist I don't see falling off? So through that, I mean, do you guys feel like you're going to make a push towards a playoff spot this year? Or uh, I, I mean... The goaltending and the defense should be fine. So I don't think that's going to be an issue there. I think it's really just going to boil down to if they get that one more gunner in the top six and, like I said, Anderson and Heedle. Because if both of those guys aren't able to step up, that's a huge hole up front with lacking a second and third line center. So that's going to push the contention window back a little bit. Just average production from those guys... And I think the Rangers can push for the second wild card spot. I wouldn't expect them to make the playoffs, but uh, you never know with with a management group like the Rangers if they're relatively close to contention at the trade deadline, moving some of their uh, 
accumulated draft picks and prospects to make a move for a guy that's going to help him make the postseason. And handsome Dave, what a coach. <laughs> that's the only thing that's the other thing with Lundquist. So do you think Lundquist trades Quinn because he might think he's more handsome than him? <laughs> well, to, to be honest, as long as Lundquist is still the one packing uh the biggest uh yeah, no shit thing in the locker room, I don't think he has anything to worry about. Um for me the thing with Lundquist is he has two years left on his deal. Eight and a half million dollar cap hit. They have Georgiev, who played well as the backup last year, and then they have their number one prospect coming over from Russia, who will probably start the year in EA. But if the Rangers are completely out of contention as we enter the trade deadline uh, next season, and the young goalies are ready for more ice time and more responsibility, I don't know if the Rangers don't go to Lundqvist and go, hey, listen, listen, we appreciate you want to stick around for the rebuild, but we have kids that are ready and we have a deal in place. Like let's say the San Jose does, I could see that possibly being a thing. And then I would have to be a full on sharks fan until he retires. Oh, it'd be like the Ray Bork in Colorado for me. It's going to be oh, devastating, okay. but hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But yeah, I could see them contending for the second wild card spot next year. If, uh, things continue to go well this off season. Um, I, I'd ask you your thoughts on the draft, but, uh, you did pretty good there. Uh, Mike says you don't win anything for finishing second, but the Rangers beg to differ finishing second in the draft order getting Kaku. So, uh, <laughs> so Jack Hughes, I posted this photo on our Instagram page. Jack Hughes was on stage. He took that photo like the NHL always does with the top three picks. Uh, taking a photo together. He looks like a Make-A-Wish kid on stage next to Kako. So, <laughs> Hang on, I'm pulling it up. <laughs> best of luck to New Jersey with a five foot four, 110-pound kid playing in a, the Metropolitan Division. I know there's guys like Kane that are successful, but uh, we'll see what happens there. I'm just glad that the Rangers took the, the man-child of Kaku second overall to put him into the top six. You brought up his size, so now I have a question for you. Over, under, we'll set it at three and a half concussions this year for for Hughes. Dude, he looks Pedersen looked like a power forward. I will say they had him mic'd up. He, he has a personality on him. I was cracking up. He was fired up. He gets drafted. No, thank you, Mom. I love you. He's like, let's <laughs> go. So I, I got a so kick I, out of him. I mean, there is a little bit of rivalry bias with me shit talking jack hughes there obviously i hope he doesn't get concussions or anything else like that but just seeing how smaller he is it was kind of i knew he was small but just seeing the size comparison because i've never seen him next to kaku up until that point but man he has some shoes to fill out there a little guy i mean they all do they're 18 years old that wasn't that big at 18 (laughs) <laughs> yeah you didn't gain any height after 18 minutes, <laughs> you better get that prescription fixed pal you must have some awful uh, awful health insurance up in new hampshire there. <laughs> but before we move on to the big trades that happened on day two of the draft i just wanted to highlight we're going to get into the jt miller trade but how crazy is it that jt miller's cap hit is the exact same as the rangers are paying from mika's advantage ad but Miller has one year more on his deal. Zibanejad, legit 80-point, 90-point center, tw- uh, 25 years old for the Rangers, and they're paying him the same amount as JT Miller in Vancouver. Hey, I mean, send him to a place that can afford him, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, all right, so the topic of discussion, the day two trades that went down uh, this past weekend, the first one we'll get into... The Nashville Predators traded P.K. Subban to the New Jersey Devils for Steven Santini, uh, defense prospect Jeremy Davies, a second-round pick in 2019, which was, I think, 41st overall, and a second-round pick in 2020. Uh, the Predators get cap relief. New Jersey gets their star right-hand shot uh, defenseman. What are your initial thoughts on the trade for not only on the ice but off the ice for the Devils? Well, I mean, before we get to the Devils, another great trade by David Poiley. Um, this guy, when it comes to trades, he hits, and he hits hard, and everything seems to be effective and for certain reasons. 
another reason this trade at the end of next season, Roman Yossi's up at $4 million a year. So he's going to oh, cash yeah. in. Um, but if you look at Nashville's decor, it's still intact. Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, you still have Ekholm. You have Fabro, who just signed his entry level. Like, I think you're in really good shape, even though you made this trade. And then you can still solidify your other back guys with Steven Santini, really big body, physical guy. I think David Poiley hit. Um, as for New Jersey, absolutely. I mean, talk about cashing in a perfect time because there's all these rumors that Taylor Hall doesn't want to stay. Hey, we're making moves. We're trying to be better. We have Hughes. We have Subban. Like, this could change the Devils franchise in a sense to be good like they used to be. And not the old boring hockey that it used to be back in the early 2000s, late 90s, but like, legitimately moving pucks scoring goals i think the only thing you still have to look at here on new jersey's end is what Corey schneider is going to be playing i think that's yeah. the only thing holding them back right now or mason blackwood who played well in limited time last year yeah it's just like it it puts ray Shiro in a tough spot because he made that blockbuster trade for oh actually no that was still Lamarillo when Lamarillo was there. Yep. But um they made that trade for Schneider in hopes that he would be everything he came delivered as and nothing. And the other crazy thing is this too, even with PK Subban, they're still about five million dollars under the salary cap floor. And they have twenty five million in cap room. Twenty five million dollars, dude. Like they can add a couple more pieces here. Yeah, but that means guys would have to willingly sign to play in Newark, New Jersey. They can live across the bridge. It's not that bad. <laughs> hey, if they want that, sign with the Rangers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good pitch. I like that. Yeah. Um, you can't afford us. <laughs> so, I agree. I think the Predators, they kind of were getting some flack for the trade at first. I think it's a very solid trade, especially since they're going to have to pay USC probably $10 million a year starting next offseason. Um, I think Santini is a very solid third pair, sixth defenseman to have, especially a right-hand shot guy. The picks are the picks. It's whatever it is. They got rid of Subban's cap hit. New Jersey, they made the move. I think this is more on reputation than anything else. Uh, Subban's going to probably love his time in a New York metro area in terms of his TV career. On the ice, he... He's starting to get injury-prone. He's 30 years old. He's signed big money long-term still. But the problem for me is he just stopped driving play um, for the Predators the last year or two. His skating has really slowed down. So I don't know if this is necessarily trading for the Canadians' version of P.K. Subban, but a guy who's kind of maybe on the downturn of his career already at age 30, 31, and he's owed big bucks. So... When a, guy, when a team like Nashville is willingly trading a guy like Subban for two, for the general hockey world, two no-names and two second-round picks, it's like that should set off some warning flags for everybody else. And I mean, good for New Jersey. They're making splashes, like you said, to convince Taylor Hall to sign long-term. They made that Hayden trade as well. Um, so good for Shero trying to make the moves there. But I don't know if they're going to be getting what they're expecting in Subban. I don't yeah. know. That's fair. I mean, Subban's numbers have been declining, right? I mean, he this past season was 31 points. The year before that, 59. The year before that, 40. The year before that, 51. So, I mean, to your point, like, what version are you getting? I don't think P.K. Subban's put, you know, less than 40 points up since uh, 2012, 2013 with Montreal. So, so it's definitely a good point. But I, I do think it's a, it's a breath of life into New Jersey. Um, yeah. So, at the same time, like, there's that implicit value, right, that you just can't put a price tag on. And so we'll just see how it shakes out. But uh, overall, I think it was actually pretty good mutualism for both parties. Yeah, it's just as much a business trade as a hockey trade, which you can't really fault a team like New Jersey for making. In that sense, it's just I, if they're expecting first-pair franchise 60-point defenseman Subban, I think they're going to be a little bit disappointed. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Only good um, news, PK only has three years left on that $9 million deal. So, 
Okay, so not too prohibitive in terms of term, but the cap hit, eh, that's not really going to matter for a team like New Jersey anyway. They're never near the cap ceiling. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe uh, this changes it. We'll see. <laughs> uh, the next trade that occurred was Tampa Bay, another team that needed to clear cap space to sign uh, restricted free agent Braden Point. They s- trade J.T. Miller, former Ranger, uh, to the Vancouver Canucks. They get uh, Merrick Mazinek, a basically uh, third-string goaltender, a third-round pick and a conditional first-round pick uh, from the Canucks for the trade. Uh, Miller has, I think, four years left in this deal at $5.25 million a year of cap hit-wise. Uh, what are your thoughts on the trade from Tampa Bay's point of view and the Canucks' point of view? For Tampa Bay, it's perfect. You want to talk about getting cap? and I mean, th- this is the new NHL. It, long-term deals are now coming to bite people in the ass because these guys coming off RFAs are getting paid. There's no more bridge deal. There's no more uh, fun money. If you want it, earn it. No, everyone's already like, fuck you, I'm earning it, pay me. So for JT Miller, I think Vancouver's a good landing spot. The the kid's still only 26, and he's going to a very, I'd say, young up-and-coming lineup. So maybe he can hit his stride there. Uh, All the best to JT Miller. Uh, for Vancouver, though, too, the, they get a first-round pick regardless, whether it's this year or the year after. And for Tampa, I mean, they got, they're going to have to find more depth in the sense of drafting and hitting on these draft picks because they seem to always get rid of first-round picks, whether they're trying to add or subtract, whatever it is. I always feel like it costs them. So I think at this point they are at the win-now mode because their farm system's a little iffy at this point. Well, yeah, so I think it was a slam dunk for Tampa because not only did they get rid of J.P. Miller's, JP, JT Miller's cap hit, but they get a first-round pick in return. And we'll talk about the Patrick Marlowe trade to Carolina where Tampa, uh, Toronto basically had to pay a first-round pick to get rid of Marlowe's cap hit. But in this trade, Tampa Bay gets the first-round pick to get rid of the cap hit. So I don't know what Benning is smoking up there in Vancouver, but that was a pretty poor negotiating uh, situation on Vancouver's behalf. Listen, JT Miller he's was on the Rangers. He's frustrating as hell. He's a good-sized uh, body. He can play all three forward positions. He's more of a assist guy than a scorer. He'll give you 20 goals, 50 points a year, which doesn't hurt Vancouver at all but to give up the first round pick and take on the full contract I think was just poor management and poor reading of the market uh, by the Canucks there I think sometimes you just have to hit it's one of those things where new face new place sometimes shit works sometimes it doesn't At the same time, I I do think JT Miller is a very young 26. He could turn his career around. He has a lot of leadership in him with all the deep playoff runs he's been in. I think he can go there and actually help that group. Maybe I'm just naive. I I don't know. If JT, so what, what's your opinion of turning, I guess, his career around? Like, let's say next year he has a, year that you think he has in him what what does that look like point like goals and points well, was well this is the shit part right you, you go from tampa bay where you have all of these superstars right now you got to go to vancouver so i mean what's a good year for him there 40 points 30 points like i think it's hard to say hey if i have if i could feed steven stamkos pucks there's no reason <laughs> why i shouldn't get at least 30 assists on the air so just on the points i should have at least 30 to start padded so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what would be a good year for him there, considering from where he's going from to where he ends up. Like, I don't know where to judge that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who do they have in Vancouver that he's going to play with? Pedersen, Hovat, um, Sutter. Yes, yeah, so that's about it, though, up front, really, in terms of difference makers. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, you bring up a great point, Kev. When you were feeding the offensive powerhouse of of Tampa Bay, you, it's clear based on those names. Like, you, you don't have the same in Vancouver. So, I mean, a, a good season to me would almost be saying stay par for the course, right? It's yeah. somehow produced forty to fifty points 
whether that's half and half goals and assists or that's going to be assist heavy, although I don't think it's going to happen if you're lacking the star power there. You don't have many finishers. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I would say, yeah, if you can if you can give me 40 to 50 points in the air, that, that's a good JT Miller. That's not a turnaround, but that's a good JT Miller season for a place like Vancouver. Uh, giving up a first-round pick for that, that that that's pretty steep, right? I, I, I don't know. I kind of lean on with Ben on that, that corner. Like, uh I get it, like new face, new place. Like you got to do, you got to make something happen, but not for a first round pick. And and, and JT Miller, if he turns his, his career around, quote unquote, I think that's never going to be. I'm I'm a finisher, right? That's going to be. I'm just going to produce, you know, twenty percent more assists and, and maybe ten percent more goals or fifty yeah. percent more goals at best. I mean, that's just never who JT's been, right? Even in the Rangers, he's been he's. He's really just been the guy who's who's making plays happen and feeding pucks around. So I um, think the one only good thing here is his versatility. Because you go up there, you have Hovat at center, you have Sutter at center, you got Beagle at center, you have Pedersen who can play center of the wing, you have Gaudette who can play that fourth line center role. You can switch these wingers around. They have Tanner Pearson up there. Like I think they can make it work. That's all. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. But it's kind of like you know, JT Miller. Ben was saying he can he can play all three roles, right? You've added yet another another piece that can play all three roles. If I was GM in Vancouver, I would have been looking to lock down something a little bit more assuring, I guess. And and you've already named like four pieces that can do the same thing. So I don't know if we're just adding more to the fuel to the fire of the same type of chemistry. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. because he was a part of the Rangers 2.0 in Tampa, and Ben hates him now. That's all it is. So <laughs> no. I I don't hate JT Miller. I'm just over being in a boat that's... Well, maybe this is the year he finally explodes into and uses all the talent that he has. Like He's versatile because he's, the, he's just good enough at everything, but not great at anything. So he's decent enough at left and wing and right wing, but he's not great. He's decent enough at center, but he's not great. He puts up enough points, but he's not great. And he has more to it. He just comes off as... Just content, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's how his persona came off in New York. Not saying he's a bad dude or anything, but he just came off as I made it to the show and I'm a top six, top nine guy. So that's my career. And the Rangers could have used more from him into his uh, Stanley Cup runs, and we didn't get it from him. So in that book, he's always going to be the guy that leaves you wanting more. All right, Benny, cheer me up. Let's talk about Patty Marlowe. <laughs> um, th- this will segue seg into our talk about the Maple Leafs uh, RFA situation, but to help clear up some cap room, another trade that was made in that vein, the Maple Leafs traded Patrick Marlowe a conditional 2020 first round pick and a 2027 round pick to the Carolina Hurricanes for a six round pick. So they didn't retain any of the salary. Uh, so to clear his, I think, $6.25 million cap hit. Um, and Carolina gets Marlowe, who they're going to try and convince to play in Carolina, but from all indications, Marlowe, his family already moved back to Northern California out here, so I think he is going to get bought out by the Hurricanes and look to re-sign with, Carol, uh, with San Jose on a cheap one-year deal. Remains to be seen if the Sharks even have the ability to bring him back or want to give him a roster spot there, uh, so you could be looking at Anaheim or LA in that instance, but Thoughts on the trade, because, like I said, this will segue into our talk about um, Johnson and uh, well, Blank, and Kapanen and then the Marner talk, but uh, what are your thoughts? Kind of sad, right, when you look at a full circle, that Marner and Matthews, the guys that he treated like children, took him under their wing, how to be professionals and everything else, that they're now the reason that they were getting rid of him. And... I know it's just the business and even in his heartfelt message, he sent out how, you know, he loves both Matthews and Marner. I mean, funny how it comes full circle, but at the same point, I mean, Marlowe didn't have that bad of a year. Is he worth 6.25 now? No. I mean, would I give him 3 million bucks a year? Absolutely. I just think for him, like you said, the family's already back in California. Like, does he want to play? Does he even have any more skates left? Because they already stopped making those skates 10 years ago. So, <laughs> like, th- these are very, like, serious questions that he needs to fit into. And if he goes and actually plays in 
Carolina, I don't think that's bad for him either because he could run in there. He could be their Justin Williams of last year. Just the old yeller running around with the team. It's one season, then he's unrestricted. I mean, how bad could it be, right? I mean, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, the thing is, one, he has already indicated that he wants to play more than one more year in his career. So I don't think this is his last year in the league unless the league basically tells him that this is your last year. Uh, But I think this just points to why San Jose is a contender year in and year out. They... He was their captain. He was their face of the franchise along with Joe Thornton. And they stuck to their guns. They said, we're not going to give you that third year. And he took the third year and went to Toronto. And look what Toronto had to do to get out of that third year of the deal. They had to give up a first-round pick. So it's just another example of why Doug Wilson and the Sharks are contenders year in and year out and why they're probably going to face another hard decision with a guy like Pavelski. In any case, I would be shocked if he plays in Carolina. I think he's going to try and go back. Uh, to California and stick it out for one more year, and I think he's going to call it quits. Yeah, that sounds about right. Guys, forty families move back. That, that that feels right. I think you play. It's one year, and then you're unrestricted. It's one year. But who's yeah. going to who's going to want him after that one year at thirty nine, forty years old? He just put up thirty points this past season, playing in a pretty high tempo offensive system in Toronto. Who's who's said anybody's going to want him? Is that's my point. He might want to play more than one more year, but going to want him? What if he goes this year and he gets sixty points? I because w- then Kevin, that's the Patrick Barlow of old. Kevin, I will I will say this right now. We're if, playing the hypothetical game. We don't fucking know. I know, but if Patrick <laughs> Patrick Marlowe, if Patrick Marlowe gets sixty points next season, I will shave my head. Okay. Oh. I'm glad I was here to witness this. Oh, I, I want to see Jordan Stahl come in and just feed Patrick Marlowe. <laughs> like, not even primary assist either, like secondary assist, just to yes. fucking ruin you. That would be perfect. Imagine the last game of the regular season, Marlowe sitting at 59 points. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> That'll be the best welcome home present you can give me. <laughs> but uh, I think that leads us to why the Maple Leafs made the trade. Uh, so they cleared up his cap hit. And almost pretty much immediately after that trade was made, they announced that they have an agreement in place with Kasperi Kapanen on an extension. Uh, it's a three-year deal with uh, an average annual con- value of about $3.3 million a year. And then right after that, it was followed up with an announcement that uh, they signed Andreas Johnson to a deal about $3.25 million a year, I think for four years. So that the cap space automatically was used up to sign their two young top six guys, which I think was a good move, trading Marlowe and bring, keeping those guys in the fold. But they still have almost no space to bring back Marner and sign like another top four defenseman. Um, so I know, Kevin, you wanted to talk about the Marner situation specifically, but it doesn't look good right now. No, and, and it's come out of his camp that Toronto offered him eight years at 11 a year, and he said no. He didn't want the term of eight years. And whether that's he's going to go and light it up and he's going to want more money sooner or whatever that may be, I think there's a couple scenarios here. you got to look at William Nylander. you got to look at Nazem Kadri. you got to look at Buster Hyman. And you got to see as to <laughs> – see, that was good, right? I just kind of let that one slide. I thought that was good. But – um. You're going to have to clear space. There's just no way. But then the other crazy part is this, too. You would have Matthews, Tavares, and Marner all at at least 11. Yeah. That's crazy. That, that is putting all your Morgan eggs. Riley at some point. Yeah, like that's putting all your eggs in one basket. And Riley for the next three years at five a year. So, I mean, set on that end. But then after that, you look at it. You only have Muzzin next year for four. And then you have Dermot at one year, then he's restricted. So you're going to have to pay a lot of people coming up. So you're going to have to move and fiddle around a lot. And the other thing was this. An unknown source, I saw her posted on Twitter, the guy did not want to be named. There could be an offer sheet coming for Mitch Marner. And they said it was uh, assistant GM in the NHL. He discussed it and said, obviously, you don't want it to come full circle and someone do it to you. 
but certain players are worth it. This would be four first-round picks. But I think Mitch Marner is worth that. I think Mitch Marner is worth four first-round picks in a heartbeat. So Toronto's going to have to figure out something. And even if they sign him, and then the only problem is if they're over the cap, then they have to wait until right at the preseason. They're going to have to move somebody or do something. And the worst part for them, now they're paying for it. So they got to figure it out, and they have to figure it out quick. The thing for me is, so restricted free agents can begin talking to other teams this coming Wednesday. Um, and you have a guy like Marner who is poachable in a sense that Toronto may not, and they finally admitted to it at the draft, that they may not be able to match every offer that Marner might receive as restricted free agent, which is a change in messaging that they've been saying since last year with the Nylander situation. So I don't know if, so here's my thing. Marner might not want to sign a long-term big money contract with anybody. And he knows Toronto is not going to want to sign him to just a one-year deal, but another team might be willing to give him that one-year deal and only give up a second or a first and a third round pick instead of four first round picks as compensation. And then he can sign that a contract extension come January, which the CBA allows for the long-term extension with the team that signs them. So it might be more beneficial to sign a one-year deal because at this point, Toronto would have to trade a guy like Kadri or Muzzin just to be able to match a $4 million a year offer on a, free agent, on a restricted free agent market. So Toronto's got to look at it where, okay, we keep Marner, but then he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and we just lost Muzzin or Kadri. So, sounds good for the future. I like it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds good for the Bruins, but, I mean, it, we saw with Brian Burke with uh, Sagan. He just threatened to sign the offer sheet uh, with Boston, and then they worked out that deal instead of giving a four first-round pick. So I don't know if that's something that might interest Toronto where – they trade Marner for prospects and picks instead of just losing him for four, four first-rounders. Uh, it's really all boils down to, I'm not sure what Marner wants. Does he want a long-term deal with just a different team, or does he want to hit unrestricted free agency sooner? I don't know, and, and that's the thing that they haven't said. So that's what makes it interesting, because he, he's a hometown boy. So why wouldn't he want eight years at 11 a year? So that's what I don't understand, is whether... Like you said, he wants to test unrestricted free agency or whatever it might be. I'm not too sure. So we'll see how this Maybe one plays his out. Maybe own, his own franchise guy hey. instead of behind Matthews and Tavares. Hey, maybe he wants to go to the Devils. How about that, Benny? Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, please no. Um, I'm saying, hey, if the Rangers miss out on Panarin there, they're, if they're willing to offer him $10, $11 million a year long term, they should be able to offer it for uh, Marner, and we have plenty of prospects and picks to do it. He said the cost of living's too high. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll chip in. I'll start a GoFundMe. He doesn't want to pay twenty five dollars to go over the bridge, man. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't even want to pay that. Uh, so, Mike, my question is: If you're a Marner, mm-hmm. and like Kevin said, your hometown guy, they're willing to offer you what was it, Kevin? Ten million dollars a year for eight years? No, eleven. So it was going to be oh. eight years at eleven. So eighty eight. Okay. And it, he's hesitating at that. What do you think that means he just doesn't want to play in Toronto, or do you think he just doesn't want the eight years like Kevin was saying? He just wants to get to free agency sooner. Uh, you know, I, honestly, I, I think it's 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 a ploy. It's it's to try and gain leverage, right? It's the I'm not gonna take the first thing that comes to me from you guys. Uh, I mean Mitch is He's, he's quite the player. He knows it. His camp knows it. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he wants to leave the Leafs. I think he's got a good good time and a good gig up there shooting, you know, uh, iPhone videos with his buddy. <laughs> uh, but, um, and, and honestly, the Leafs are the real deal. They, they easily could make another playoff run. Um, and so I don't think he actually he cares to go to the unrestricted free agency earlier. I think he's just looking to see what's out there so he can put his, his head on his pillow and know that, you know, at the end of the day, hopefully he's a leaf. Is is my gut, but uh, he's just he's playing big boy, right? I mean, you, you don't just sit there and, and take what they give you. Um, Hold you on, just kind of stick up for yourself. It's like a job offer. I, else, you know? I know what it is. 
Exactly. Bad but, uh, yeah, no, I think he stays. And, and, you know, that comment about, like, does he want to get out maybe because he doesn't want to be behind – he wants to be a franchise guy and doesn't want to be behind Austin Matthews. Honestly, I kind of look at Austin Matthews and, and Marner as, like, the, you know, the, the big two, if you will. Um, so, I, I more so than Tavares, for sure, I, I would say Mitch Marner is more of a face. I know Tavares got a lot of uh, PR last year and such. Uh, with the moves or whatnot, but at the end of the day, I think Marner's a better player than Tavares. But yeah, I might make enemies saying that in certain regions. But I mean, that would that would only matter if uh, the Islanders had fans. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I'm probably safe from the five thousand fans that got. Um, well, how but, about yeah. this? What if it's Babcock? That's why he doesn't that's want to bad. stay. Doesn't want to play for the psycho. Like, hey, th- this guy is stuck in his old time ways. I'm a fucking generational player. I can change your team. And I got to worry about if I walk in with my left foot in front of my right into the practice arena, <laughs> if this guy's going to blitz me for something. Like, I'm not playing your mind games. I'm on big boy money now. Kiss my ass. I'll go where I want. Okay, so if that's the case, and Marner, I'm going to put this to both of you guys. Marner goes to Toronto and says, I want to sign, but I don't want to play under Babcock. You fire Babcock and bring in Sheldon Key from the A, which is pretty much the same system that they run. It's just a different personality. Or do you say no to the player and keep the coach that runs the ship? No, you, you say yes, and I tell you why. And, and I'm not saying it in the sense of you need to dictate to what the players say, but Babcock had to go out to Arizona at the end of last season to sit down with Matthews, and they had to talk about things that happened during the year to iron shit out. I think right. he's just he's ran his course. And the players aren't having it anymore. Uh, that's an interesting take. No, I, I can see it, though. Yeah, I could definitely see it. And, and you know, picking coach versus player. Uh, listen, the, the coaches have a huge influence in, in, the, in the org, right? But at the end of the day, there's, there's very few Mitch Marners out there. There's very few Austin Matthews out there. Uh, he's got a winning record as a coach. That's fantastic. He's got a great run. But at the same time, you'd... you'd could have somebody who can run the same system, but is a little bit more flexible. Yeah, and, yeah. It's and like he, I think that actually speaks volumes to attracting additional talent too. Yeah, and so getting out of the I first round would help attract more talent too. Um, but <laughs> can you imagine the fallout if Toronto loses a hometown kid, twenty-two years old, ninety-four points last year, right-hand shot franchise guy, and they lose him because he just didn't either want to play under Babcock or they just weren't able to match because of the cap situation. That would it would be very juicy details coming out of uh, Maple Leafs organization if that happens. Yeah, exactly. And you don't want that. That's just a nightmare, right? Bad PR. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Benny. Um, I thought that was phenomenal. Who, who do you have for uh, shout-outs? Or are you doing a Today in NHL History? Now, now I'm intrigued because we're deep into the year, pal. <laughs> uh, we do not have a Today in NHL History just because. God damn it. The time of year, I was I was looking at my facts. I mean, there's some very obscure things that are going on, but I don't think anything that was worthwhile mentioning. And Danny right. Jill is not helping me out once the season ended. All right, fair enough. Um, I'll bring I'll bring it back next next week. How about that? All right, Dale. Um, Mike, who, do you have any shout outs? We're very excited to have you on today. Yeah, I'll shout out to my wife Renee because I know she's going to listen to this next episode because I'm down here clowning around. And uh, every episode, of Michael. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> she probably comments on Instagram, but I can promise you, boys, she's not listening. So don't. don't, don't. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no. Shout out to my wife Renee. Love you. Um, other than that, it, I really appreciate you guys having me out here. It's been a lot of fun. I uh, I appreciate you even taking my topic of of the uh, rule changes and giving me a chance to speak my mind on it. So uh, it's always good hanging out with you guys, and and this is awesome. Hey, uh, we provide for the people here. You, you you showed up in our DMs, and we provide it. Yeah, that's true. Listen, if you guys want to jump on the show, these guys, I can I tell you, are uh, equal opportunity employers for sure because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a guido up in the sticks, and they still have me on the show, so it's, it's pretty decent. I think as a welcome, just to give everybody context of who Mike is, I'm going to post the photo from college of Mike at our New Jersey Shore party. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all that's only fitting you hey you might actually get a couple of additional listens because of this <laughs> and if you do notice an uptick in your your tracking i want to i want to return on the show 
Well, well uh, we're going to need you to find out how to do all that for us. So you, you run all that and you let us know. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Um, yeah, shout-outs this week for me, as always, First Lady. Uh, thanks for everything. Uh, shout-out to Mike for joining us. It was nice to have a little LCRHL reunion. Uh, we're going to have more of these once I'm back in the same time zone and not keeping Kevin's ass up late to record these. Uh, go to some games at the Garden, both Gardens, to be honest, and uh, maybe play some puck. I like it. Uh, as always, Big Red, the apple of my eye. Uh, a little Strat Daddy love week crushed porch rockers all playoffs so i know we weren't shouting out during the playoffs but uh strat daddy love you we'll get uh thursdays going again now that my schedule is wide open and um yeah man th- this was good we-, we should do it again benny i don't know next week uh maybe we'll see if my schedule clears up all right well <laughs> michael thank you for coming on as always everybody thank you for listening we appreciate you taking the time out of your day and um dear summer baby summer's here dear summer i know you gonna miss me for we've been together like night airs and crisp tees s dots with polo fleeces purple label shit with the logo secret give me a couple years shit i might just sneak in a couple versions like peaches and herb we'll be reunited and feel so hood how the whole world saying i still so good well i do this in my slumber summer Ain't none of these half-ass newcomers, you know how I do summer. I drop heat when you bring the sun up. The combo make niggas act up, I pick a gun up. Niggas back up, they know I'm not no fronter. I don't talk shit, I just flip it on ya. Silence, I'm just trying to advance my quotes. I ain't making you the butt of my jokes. But let's not stray from what I came to say to my beloved. Think we need some time away, they say.